How you guys doing? You doing all right today? I know they say in public speaking, never ask the crowd how they're doing. But you know what? I break the rules. That's who I am. I one time had a student, I asked that question, and my group was not quite this big, but almost this big. I, I asked a student one time, how you guys doing? And one of them said, terrible. My mom yelled at me right before I came. I was like, let's just talk about that for a few minutes. <laughs> I appreciated the honesty. Um, I just got back from Nashville. I was there for our Foursquare convention. Uh, our denomination is called Foursquare. We just elected a new president, which I hate the whole process. I'm more the, let's do it the biblical way and just cast lots and see who becomes our next president. Everybody willing to throw a ping pong ball in a giant bin will draw one out with the vacuum even so that it can't be altered. And then that's who would be our president. But nobody will listen to my great suggestion. They all think I'm kidding when I suggest it even. When I send the emails, why don't we do it this way? Oh, you're funny. Um, but we did elect a new president to lead our denomination who will take over next year. And, um, but the most interesting thing of all of it is I continually go back to the fact that the Holy Spirit is our leader. Just as I am the pastor of this church, the Holy Spirit is the one who really guides us. And um, as I was there listening to conference speakers all week, and some are great and some you don't necessarily resonate with, they're all good public speakers, but I just kept coming back to the same thing is, I like the church I'm at. I like where I am. I like where God's put me. And um, I just feel like in this next season of life, at least for me, I mean, things are going to change drastically in my house. Just a few months, Tracy and I will no longer have children at home. And uh, I just keep going back to this idea that God's constantly, seasons continue to come. Summer's going to be here soon, and then we'll be in the fall, and then people will go, can you believe how fast this year went? And I hear that every year and go, no, no, I cannot. And we go through seasons and rhythms, and right now I just feel like we're in a good rhythm. And I just am excited to see where God's going to take us next. Not believing that there's not going to be storms. There will be. I lived in the Midwest. Summer storms were a thing. We used to watch. The, you could watch them from 25 miles away and watch the rain or the tornado just move towards your town. Knowing that there's going to be storms. There's going to be tough things that we face. And yet, even in those tough seasons, beautiful things are ahead. So we're going to go through storms. We're going to go through beautiful things. But we can go through it together. And so that's what I came out way from Nashville with is that where I'm at right now in this season of life and this season is we're going to go through things, but God's going to be the one that sees us through. So it's a good song to end with today. Good job, Kendra. Way to choose wisely. If you've got your Bible, I'm going to bounce around a little bit today. Uh, I'm finishing our series on Paul. And my wife, I just want to point out, she said, that's a really weird scripture to have on the cover of the bulletin. And I said, well, let me tell you why. If you read my bulletin blurb in the front cover, you'd know. But our next series is going to be about sin. And um, controversial topic, I didn't realize how controversial, but today's message on Paul is going to go straight into, it's a precursor to our message on sin. And um, so knowing that, take some time today, not necessarily right this second, but just read what I wrote because the interesting thing about sin is that so many people in our nation don't even believe in sin anymore. Because if there is no absolute truth, there can't be right and wrong. They're all just constructs. And so whatever's right, each person can do whatever they think is right. And it does take away sin, but I believe that sin is a real thing. And so 
We're going to base with that in the back of your mind. Listen to where I'm at on Paul, because we're going to talk about in order to rightly examine what Paul has written us, we have to understand who he is. And he had a passion for Jesus, but at points in his letters, we see really strong and controversial opinions stated. And the reason I say they're opinions is I'm going to talk about that a little bit more. Um, but he has some controversial statements, such as he tells people not to get married because it will be a distraction to the work of the kingdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 13, it's about, well, if you're married. Now, here's the thing. Paul's not really anti-marriage. He just so believes that Jesus is coming back any second now that if you're married, it's just a distraction. How many of you know that your relationship with your spouse takes up time? How many of you know your relationship with a spouse takes up energy? How many of you know sometimes a relationship with a spouse, I know this sounds crazy, but is not 100% harmonious all the time? I see a lot of nervous people right now. So Paul says, hey, it's better that you don't marry. Better to remain single. Your focus can be on the work of the kingdom. That's a fairly controversial statement. Because Paul states that and says, hey, it's better if you do this. But at the same time, later on he gives specifics on if you're going to be married, here's how it should look. So why does he state both? Why does he say both? Is he encouraging people to get divorced? No. Just as he's not encouraging people to sin so that grace can abound all the more. There's been a justification of this saying, well, this is why it's okay to divorce because Paul says it's better that we shouldn't even be married. In reality, if anything, we should understand it this way. Paul says, in your singleness, you're just as complete in God. You do not need somebody else to complete you. And that's where Jerry Maguire, the movie, is wrong because Jerry's never going to complete her. The only thing she's going to find her wholeness in is who she is in God. And the only thing we will find ourselves whole in is who we are in God. And so people will throw out the scripture, well, it's not good that man should be alone. But if you really study that scripture, he's talking about in humanity that you need to be in relationship, and yet we don't want to have deep and meaningful relationships with people, not even our spouse, because that's really hard, and that means I've got to be honest and vulnerable, and most of us don't want to be honest and vulnerable. We want to be liked. We want to be seen for the image and the illusion and the shine we put up, and sometimes that's, I'm just a super spiritual person. I'm a person of prayer. I'm a person who studies the Word, but don't look at the other areas of my life because they're not as good. We drive a certain car, we live in a certain house, we have a certain neighborhood because we want it to be known, this is who I am. And none of those things are bad. I'm telling you again right now, if I had the money to own my own yacht, I would. I subscribe to Yachting Magazine, and I look and I think, maybe someday someone's going to give me one. And if so, I know which one I want. But that shine and that sheen is not the reality of who I am. And so if I'm so busy putting on this image putting on this thing, this way I want to look, if it becomes about how cool I am and how accepted I am and how I look, then I'm going to miss the very point that Paul is saying, which is, it's not good that we should be alone, that we need to be in community. But you know what? You are not complete in your marriage. You're complete in God. And if you're looking for a spouse or a partner or another person to complete you, you will always feel separated. That's what Paul is trying to state here. The reason it would be better if you just stayed single is because you don't need that relationship to complete you. You need to understand who you are in God to complete you. 
Second thing he says that's really controversial is 1 Timothy 2, 8 through 13. It's the passage on women in ministry. Somebody, I was talking with somebody right before service, and I said, in reality, this, he said, isn't that what they call an occasional text? And I said, yes, an occasional text is that Paul wrote to a specific person about a specific thing, a specific occasion. And there are entire denominations that take this as one of the cornerstones of their entire movement. And I, it makes me sad because they missed his very point. The word he uses is buthame, which is I desire. In other words, my personal wish, my personal wish, Paul's personal wish in this situation is that woman would not be in ministry. It'd be better for Timothy, would create less controversy. Already a religion that's filled with controversy, why would we want to create more by allowing women to speak? Because in the Jewish faith, women were not allowed a place in the temple. In many of the faiths, women had no place in there. And so Paul's saying, it'd be a lot easier. My desire is this. But nowhere does he says, God says it has to be this way. And there's a subtle difference. Because Paul is writing a letter to a specific person, a person he has relationship with, and he's saying, here's how I see it and what sometimes I wish. But the reason he wishes that is not because he doesn't trust women. Because if you look throughout Scripture, there are women that lead ministry. Throughout the New Testament, there are women that lead churches. Some of the very churches that Paul both visits and some of the women, people that he works with are women when he is working in ministry. Paul doesn't say, I don't want Phoebe involved in ministry. What he says is a generic term. For Timothy, it would be better if they weren't. That would be his personal wish, but not that women shouldn't be in ministry. Several times he states he wishes or that it would be better. These are obviously personal thoughts and opinions, and yet he mixes in a lot of solid truth and teaching in his letters also. So you can't throw them out because you go, well, isn't this just Paul writing what he wants? Yes, and yet at the same time, he's writing as a man to another man, and he's writing theology, and he's writing to understand things, and yet, throughout it, he contradicts himself. My next passage is the fact that, again, in First in Corinthians, Paul later states that men should marry the young widows. This is controversial because it's very different than the first time where he says it's better to not even be married. And again, he uses the same word that he used when he talks about women in ministry, buthame, which is a personal wish, my I'm going to blow out the candles on my birthday cake and I'm going to make a wish. That's the, what Paul is doing. This is my personal wish. And see, when you get into this, there's people who can't handle this. There's people that are going to be upset about this because they're going to say, I'm taking away the legitimacy of Scripture, but I'm not. What I want is for us to understand that Scripture is written by humans, inspired by the Holy Spirit, designed to direct our lives, but Scripture is not to be worshipped. And in America, we have Bibleology or a Bible idolatry as opposed to understanding we are called to worship God, not the book that has been translated. Now, it makes it no less inspired by the Holy Spirit, but it gets really dangerous when we worship the, this and our human King James interpretation of this. Because we're taking a language that for much of it was dead, that we had to literally use a code to crack it, to understand it, to decipher it, and yet there's still truth in it. And I'm not denying the truth and the reality of Scripture. 
I believe in studying it and knowing it and knowing what it says. But people don't want to think, well, what do you mean Paul wrote he wishes? That's not at all how I was taught scripture. And so now we've got a situation where some people are going to throw out everything I say today because I said that Paul uses this word. What I'm saying is not that it's not valuable, but what I am saying is that Paul evolves and changes and grows as a person the more he follows Christ. Not only when he's talking about that men should marry young widows, many interpret this as Paul is saying, even if you already have a wife, if she's a follower of Jesus, marry her as well. That's controversial, people. We're not big believers in polygamy in our country, in our society, in the Western world. And yet, that's how, at one point, it was interpreted. Now, I don't think that that's what Paul was intending to say. (laughs) But there are people who have interpreted it that way. Paul uses, uh, his use of scripture is oftentimes out of context. In Hosea, he quotes Hosea, he quotes Deuteronomy, he quotes Leviticus. In three different passages, he takes them completely out of context. One of the first things you learn, when, if you go to a Bible college or a seminary, the first thing you learn is to understand scripture in the context it was written, because outside of the context it was written, doesn't have the same interpretation. But the problem is, we're looking at something that was written nearly 2,000 years ago, and in that 2,000 years, our context looks different than the first century world. The way we view things, the way we approach things, even our concepts of things like freedom and democracy, they're very different than they would have been 2,000 years ago. So if our concepts of those things are different, how do I interpret Scripture in light of where the Holy Spirit empowered Paul to say something, and yet what he says is not even relevant to where you and I are today. And yet it makes it no more God-inspired. So that's what I mean by Paul is full of controversies. His writings are full of controversies. So he takes scriptures out of context, and he uses all scripture to point towards Jesus. Now, see, many people say, well, that's acceptable because from the very beginning, God had a plan, and I fully agree with that. But where Paul takes it out of context, he does this because that would have been his teaching and training model. The Jewish model is what was said before us should give us meaning today. And that's the school Paul would have been raised in. So what was said in the Old Testament, it has to have meaning and relevance today, or it can't really be from God. And so when you look at it in light of that context, that what was said then has to have relevance today, I say, we do the, I say the same thing, that it has relevance to us today. And yet it becomes difficult when I try to put in context of what Paul was saying, how does this have relevance to me today? And so Paul, in his passion to make all Scripture points to Jesus, he allows the text to say things that it really was never written to say. There's a passage in Hosea where he quotes, and he justifies saying that the Jews and the Gentiles are all called to God, because in Hosea it talks about how once they were a people, and now they're not a people, but God makes them all his people. But the thing is, he was talking, Hosea's talking about the religious Jews and the Jews who have turned away, not Gentiles. There's no mention of Gentiles. Hosea doesn't care at all about the Gentiles. Sorry if that burst your bubble. 
But what Hosea was saying was the Jews that were religious and the Jews that were not religious, God makes a way for all of them. Well, Paul takes it completely out of context. And yet, what Paul is saying is, this is relevant to you and to me. And so, even though that's a fault in his hermeneutic, he's still led by and following the Holy Spirit. And so sometimes we have to abide by the fact that that's the way Paul was. That's why there's entire groups that won't include Paul's writings in the New Testament because they say it contradicts and it doesn't do this and it doesn't do that. But what it is is they're trying to put everything under such a they're trying to fit everything into the box that they understand as scripture. And we have to be careful to do, not to do that. So what is the influence on church today? Paul gives incredible insight into many topics, including communion, baptism, death and resurrection, grace, being people that love. All of those things are things Paul specifically addresses. Paul addresses the spiritual disciplines. Paul addresses the fruit of the Spirit, that a Spirit-filled life is known by these fruit. Those are things that we can build a church on. Again, not one verse, not one scripture, but the body of his work, we can say this is critical to us knowing and understanding. There's danger in building theology on a single idea. Um, We see Paul grow and flex and change and evolve in his ideas. We have... um, 30 years of his writings total. 30 years of his writings and his interactions with believers. From the time, basically, he comes to Christ until the time he's executed, um, somewhere he's executed somewhere between the year 64 and 68 A.D. We know that he's executed in Rome under Nero, and we know that Nero is blaming the Christians for the empire falling apart. But during that 30 years, he's experienced loss, he's experienced trauma, He's been beaten, he's been jailed, he's been shipwrecked. He's been thrown out of cities. He's been threatened with death multiple times. And don't you think somewhere in you, those things could create a little PTSD and change how you think about things? Don't you think those could cause him to grow and to change and to learn and to become more like Christ in some ways and fear and understand and learn who Jesus is? And the problem is, we want Paul's writings in Romans to be the finished Paul, but Paul has another 30 years of writings, and he talks about how this is who I was, and this is who I am. And so we try to take one thing and say, well, Jeff, you can't, this has to be this way. No, it doesn't. And Paul is looking at you and saying, it doesn't have to be. That here's our absolutes, that Jesus is who he said he was, he was killed, he was resurrected, and he's our atonement for sins. But how you do communion may be different. How you view this may be different. And we need to have a lot more grace and understanding. And again, I don't compromise on the things we know to be true about who Jesus is. But we need to stop filling in the blanks and making Jesus American Jesus, because that makes me happy. And many times I've heard people say, well, I learned this. And I'm like, yeah, that was 30 years ago. 40 years ago. You know what? Even teachings in the church over the last 30 and 40 years, some have gotten better, some have gotten worse. Can anybody think of teachings that were better 30 to 40 years ago? I can. And I hear that people teach certain things. I go, no, 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 no. But then there's other things I look at and I go, 
yeah, we've learned some things. We've discovered, we've developed. I don't know if you've ever watched, uh, there's a TV show called Mad Men. I watched a few episodes. It's not appropriate for children. Don't watch it. Um, <laughs> it's on television. And um, you watch the early episodes and how they talk about their secretaries. And there's one episode where they get a photocopier and the lady who's in charge of the office says, oh, don't worry, girls, it's so easy, even one of us can use it. And she says this about herself. <laughs> we wouldn't dream of doing that. And yet, I put it in context, the characters would be in their 60s to 70s today. It wasn't that long ago. And yet, we've changed as a society, we've changed as a people, some ways for the better, some ways not. I've heard people say, I just wish we could all just be Christians again like we were back in whatever era. And I go, oh, when slavery was legal? Oh, that doesn't sound appealing for a lot of us. Oh, you want to be Christians in this area when they were being persecuted and killed? That doesn't sound fun. You want to be Christians in this era? Really? Because the church was doing some horrifically bad things during the 1500s in the name of God. We claimed it was God but we were doing real, at any point in history. And you know what? 50 years from now, people are going to look back and say, they compromised this and they lost this. And you know what? They're going to be right. And yet at the same time, we're doing the best we can to follow Jesus with our whole heart. There is no perfect era of Christianity. But you know what? We got to continue to learn and to grow. And if Paul taught us anything, it's that he learned and he grew and he developed and he became more of who God wanted him to be. And you see that throughout his writings. And the most classic one is this. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 through 17 says this. This is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of who I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Wait, did Paul just say he's the worst of all sinners? Came to a world of sinners of who I am the chief. That can't be right, because this is Paul, our holy saint and apostle. But he's saying he's still sinners. And then he also addresses himself, if you read Romans 1.1, it says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. A bondservant simply is this. It's a slave who's been freed that chooses to go back and work for the same master. That's what it means. I was a slave, I've been freed, but I still want to work for that guy. That's who Paul calls himself. Calls himself a slave that's been freed that chooses to go back and work for God. He calls himself an unworthy apostle in 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10. And then he calls himself equal to all apostles in 2 Corinthians 11, 5 through 6. He calls himself one of the saints. He also calls himself the chief of all sinners. Not worthy to be apostle, and equal to the apostles. I think Paul is a man who, the more he knows, the more conflicted he is about who he is. But one thing that he stays constant in is that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is the same. 
Christ who showed long-suffering as a pattern to those who believe on him for everlasting life. The king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So though I am inconsistent and I am changing and I am growing and I am learning, God is the same. And I think we have to walk away with that understanding. Paul is a human that continues to not know what to do. And yet he's writing and he's learning and he's growing and he's becoming more and more like Christ. And he's pointing us towards a God who is unchanging. And we need to walk in the confidence that a God who can use Paul, who wavers and flip-flops and changes his minds and his opinions, a God who can use that can certainly use us. He can use you if you're willing to be used. Are you going to make wrong decisions? Yep. You're going to make mistakes? Absolutely. My list of mistakes as a youth pastor and a pastor would fill up a phone book. And I'm not talking about one of those small town ones. I'm talking about like a big city, medium-sized city at least, like a Denver. Maybe not New York, but I have made mistake after mistake. I've repeated some of my same mistakes and gone, oh yeah, I did that last time and it didn't work. And yet, God continues to call and to use and to say, I want you to do this. I want you to go. I want you to love well. I want you to serve well. I wish I were perfected in my faith, but I'm not. I am the chief of all sinners. And the reason I can say that is I know my thoughts, I know my mind, I know my actions, I know my deeds. Oftentimes I think, I'm a pretty bad person. Where would I be outside of Christ? I'd really be a mess. Because this is who I am in Christ, and in Christ I'm a new creation. And my newness, even in my newness, I still sin because my newness is still human. But, Here's the beautiful thing. He redeems, and he has grace over and over and over. And though I am a sinner, and I continue to, he looks at me, and he calls me back to him, and he washes me off, and he picks me up, and he looks, and he says, but you're my perfect child. That's what Paul is trying to tell you. Through all of this, he's learning and growing and developing, and he writes things, and he goes, this is my wish, this is my desire. People have built entire movements on the things he said he wished and he desired, and yet what he's really saying is, let's be people who are called by God. God didn't create half of all humanity to not serve him or to die and go to hell. God created every person that every person could have a relationship with him. Paul was a complex man, a sinner and a saint, worthy and unworthy, and on a quest to know and share God. But also his own ideas and desires get mixed into that because just like you and just like me, Paul's human. And remember, Paul had no divinity. Paul was never equal to God, and he recognizes that. And the problem is we put some of our biblical writers on the same level as equal to God because we give them sainthood. But they're just like you and me. And because they're just like you and me, they're growing and learning and hopefully becoming better people. Ultimately, Paul is a human doing the best he can to, to pursue God and show and share God. And at no point does Paul try to create his own disciples. He keeps pointing people to Christ. We do very well to emulate the picture of Jesus that Paul creates for us. Not to follow and be like Paul, 
Because I've heard pastors say, don't you want to be like Paul and go out? You know what? Let's not try to be like Paul. Let's try to be like Jesus. Let's not try to be like a pastor. Let's try to be like Jesus. Let's not try to be more of a prayer warrior like this person or more of a disciple like this person. Let's try to be like Jesus. And in that process, let's grow and learn and discover more of who he created us to be. Because as I start my series next week on sin, I believe that sin exists. And I believe that we're sinners and we're all still in need of grace. And it's going to be controversial in the sense that one-third of people in our country don't believe in sin, which means if there's three people in your office, one of them doesn't really believe in sin. And if there's 100 people in your office, like 33 and a third of them don't believe in sin. So one person's really conflicted. But the reality is we live in a world that no longer believes in sin. And if you don't believe in sin, what do you not need? Something to save yourself from. So how do we walk into a world full of darkness and be a light when they don't even know they're standing in darkness? I'm going to tell you the secret right now. We be a light. Because when we're a light, darkness goes away. And that's what we're going to talk about throughout June. So I look forward to sharing that with you. And um, I just thought that pointing out that Paul being the chief of all sinners shows you that we're all human. And we're all people in need of a Savior. Today is Communion Sunday. And um, as I, you know, I try to think each month, what do I want to say for communion? What do I want to do for communion? And um, I thought I was going to, I decided I was going to read from Paul and what he says. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, it says, it's interesting because he goes through this whole thing on who needs to have their head covered and who shouldn't have their head covered and all of that. And it's funny because he all along is saying, we're not under the law, but here's a bunch of rules for you. And again, we're not under the law, but here's a bunch of rules for you. That's what we like to do because when we put rules in place, it makes us feel better about ourselves. But in verse 23 of chapter 11, it says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. I love the fact that in the midst of giving rules, there's no rules. He doesn't say you have to do it the first Monday of the month or the last this or whatever. He says, as often as you do it, choose to do it every day, do it every day. If you choose to do it once a year, as is some religious traditions, you do it once a year. But as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. Today, that's my encouragement to you.
scripture that says, if anybody is unworthy, then I'm invited unworthy. And I'm like, well, here's the beauty of it. I'll let the Holy Spirit deal with that. Because you want the truth? None of you are worthy. None of you deserve it. None of you earned it. And yet he invites all of you to take it. I'm the worst sinner I know, but some of you guys give me a run for my money. And Jesus knows the truth. So today I invite you. You're going to be invited. You're going to break off a piece of the bread, dip it in the juice, and make your way back to your seat. But all are invited. All are welcome. All are wanted. Anybody who's not able to physically or just mentally, emotionally, able to come forward today, Tracy's going to serve. She also has the gluten-free if you need gluten-free. She'll be here in the middle after she serves those who can't get up or, or just need to stay in their seat. And there's no judgment. There's no condemnation. There's no criticism. It's an invitation to those of you who go, I would do it, but I just can't bring myself up there. I can't be in front of those people. You're still invited to partake with us. So in just a moment, they're going to dismiss you from the back to the front. Come on up, break off a piece, dip it in. And let's do this in remembrance of the fact that there's a sacrifice that's been made for you and me. We're unworthy, but we're accepted. And we're invited. Let's celebrate that invitation. Let's celebrate the fact that a living God sacrificed his own son so that you could have relationship with him.